0: We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. If you have your Bibles, we join me in opening them to the book of 3rd John. Third John, we are continuing our series. We have two more weeks this month. As you know, the month of March. We've been walking through the little books of 2nd and 3rd John in the past couple of weeks. We looked at the book of 2 John, and this week and next week, we're going to look at the little book of 3 John. Uh, Starting in a couple of weeks, we are going to begin a a short series. We're going to be in the Gospel of John for a couple of weeks uh, for both Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. And then we begin a series together on the life of Moses. And so I'm excited about that, excited about journeying through those things with you today, but this morning, I I want you to know that I want to talk specifically for a few moments to a group of people that are in here. I want to talk specifically to those that know that they are redeemed this morning. Those whose profession is that they are saved. I need to have just a few minutes this morning with those who believe themselves to be blood-bought, born-again, redeemed saved. If that is your testimony, that you not only know Jesus Christ, but that you love Him, adore Him, that you've been forgiven by Him, then you need to know something this morning, and that is this. You have a testimony. You have a testimony. I am uh, done with hearing people that say they are Christians, then say, but I don't really have a testimony. If you have been rescued, If you have been ransomed, if you have been blood-bought, if you are born again, if there was a time in your life, no matter whether you were eight or 80, when you came before the Lord Jesus Christ recognizing that you were a sinner, that you had to be saved by grace through faith that's not of yourselves so you could not boast, if you asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, to take over control of your life, and you surrendered to him, then you have a testimony. Now for those of you that are redeemed and now you are positive that you do have a testimony, that means that having a testimony means that you are also a witnesses. Jesus said, "You will be my witnesses as you go out." So every one of you that are saved not only have a testimony, but you also have a witness. So that leads us to our question. Is your witness good? Or bad. Sometimes people may complain when they hear sermons about them being overly complicated. Today will not be that day. Is your witness good or bad? When it comes to the advancement of the gospel, when it comes to the advancement of the church, are you part of the solution or are you part of the problem? When people see the way that we live our lives, do they look at the gospel of Jesus and see how beautifully it has worked in and through you? As we turn to 3 John, it is one of the most personal letters, maybe the most personal letter that Paul ever wrote. It's also the shortest letter that Paul ever wrote. And you're going to notice as we read through it over the next couple of weeks that it mentions people by name. In fact, it's written not to a church, but to a man in a church. But it mentions not only that man, but it mentions two other people as well. You're going to see the name Gaius, you're going to see the name Demetrius, and you're going to see the name Diotrephes. So over the next two weeks, we're going to be asking a really simple question. What kind of church member am I? And I believe that in this little bitty Bible book, we see very clear representation of three kinds of church members. And most church members are going to fall into one of these three categories. Now, I realize that that is maybe not a clean division with every one of your lives all of the time. But as we speak in generalities, you are going to find some commonality in these three men. So today, we're going to look specifically at the life of Gaius, the one that it was written to. And then next week, we're going to spend a little time asking the same question, but looking at the lives of Diotrephes and Demetrius. But as we open it up together today, you'll remember the last two weeks in looking through 2 John, we saw how John was very concerned that the church protect the truth and protect it specifically from false teachers, not giving hospitality to those who taught errant doctrine. What we see today is there is a little bit different problem as he writes to Gaius because there is a group in the church that doesn't want to show hospitality to true shepherds, to true teachers of the Word of God, so he rebukes it from the other side coming at 3 John. But the way he does that is by specifically calling out people in the church and has us to look into our own hearts and our own lives and ask the very simple question, what kind of church member is? am I? Let's stand together as we read the first eight verses of 3 John. Verse 1, the elder. That's obviously talking about the Apostle John. To my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. Lord, help us today. To determine what kind of church member we are. May we see in Gaius many of the things that we are called to live out in our own personal lives and through the ministry of First Baptist Summit. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity to be in your word. Lord, I pray that you would help me to get out of the way of this text so that you may increase and that I may decrease. And Lord, we love you and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And as you're being seated, if you look to the screen, you'll see what the big idea is this morning that simply we determine what kind of church members that we are. So we're gonna ask two very pointed questions in just a moment. But before we ask those questions, I want us to jump straight into verse two and just see this greeting that John gives. It's really a, a beautiful way to express to a friend. He says, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. First and foremost, we need to know that John cared about the whole person. When we do ministry with people, we need to care about everything about their life. We certainly need to care about their spiritual spiritual condition because that is the most important part. In fact, one of the reasons when we do missions at First Baptist Church of Summit that we do not like to partner if it is not a place where the gospel is being preached or presented is because the most important problem that a person has is not their housing, it's not even their health, believe it or not. The most important issue that anybody faces is the condition of their Soul. So, what I would tell you would be at the risk of sounding uncompassionate, if you get somebody's house out of a floodplain, but their soul is still flooded with sin, the only thing you've done is kick the problem down the road a little bit. And so, for John, he is obviously concerned about Gaius. He's concerned about his soul condition, but he also cares about him physically. And he says, I pray, I hope that you're doing well physically. I pray and hope that you are doing well spiritually. By the way, I want you to know that by being here today, not only are you enriching your soul, but a byproduct of that is did you know that regular church attendance actually helps you physically? Physically, one of the greatest things that you can do is be a regular attender of a Bible-believing gospel-preaching church. You're saying, wait a minute, y'all aren't handing out prescriptions in in the front. We don't have health care screenings. It's not that we're getting immunizations. What are you talking about? How would it be good for my health to be here at church? Well, let me just share some statistics with you. Those who regularly attend church have 29% reduced risk of depression, 33% reduced risk of death, 33% reduced risk of adolescent illegal drug use, 50% reduced risk of divorce, and 84% reduced risk of suicide. It's a good thing you're here, amen? Good for you. It's good for you. And so we pray for the physical well-being of people. But I want you to read in this verse because there's actually been some abuse of verse 2 because there have been some prosperity gospel hacks who have taken this verse and somehow tried to make it mean that there was a guarantee on John's part of Gaius's physical well-being. No, certainly John, because he loved Gaius, prayed for that. And we ought to pray for people that they are physically doing well. I've prayed for people today that are physically going through things and I'm asking God's healing for them. I'm asking God to work in them. I've asked the Lord to work miracles in them. But what we realize that as we read this text and understand this is that even though we are praying for that, that our health condition and our soul condition aren't always the same. Amen. I want you to hear loud and clear. You may be going through some very difficult health problems right now, but while you're going through those health problems, though you may or may not be delivered from those health problems, your soul can be getting stronger. In fact, there's a lot of people in here who are in health problems or who have been through health problems, and their testimony is that because of the difficulties, because of the problems, because of the ailments, I didn't get further away from God. I got closer to God because the New Testament makes it very clear in our afflictions that is often when we seek Christ and know him more. So this is certainly a prayer, but the Bible from cover to cover is about how the Lord helps us in the midst of our adversity and how to handle our adversity. It is not a handbook on how to avoid adversity, including health. So he he makes this this declaration, He, he gives this prayer but then he immediately launches in to an encouragement. And you need to hear this encouragement. Because in verses 3 and 4, John tells Gaius, It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell me about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. My children, at one of them at either a vacation Bible school or a camp, One year, they came back and they had taken their hands and they had placed their hands in paint and then put the paint, put it on a sheet of paper. And on that sheet of paper, it said, this Bible verse, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. Now, certainly in my own individual life, there is no greater prayer that I have for my kids, my biological children, than that they would walk in the truth of the gospel. There's not a greater prayer that you can pray. Some of you spend more time praying for their academic prowess, or you may be spending more time praying for their athletic prowess or their popularity, and I want to tell you it's the wrong prayer. The greatest prayer you can pray for your children is this prayer, that they would walk in the truth. But what John is specifically talking about is not biological children. He's talking about the fact that he is an apostle, that he has preached the gospel. And because of that, people have gotten saved and churches have been founded. And he's saying the greatest joy in his life is to hear that the people in the church love truth and live truth. I can tell you, you want to be a blessing to a church? You want to be a blessing to your pastors? You want to be a blessing in the community? Love truth and live truth. That's as simple as it gets. And John says the best thing I can say about you, Gaius, is that not only do you believe the right things, but you live it out. I mean, what a great—I I thought about Gaius this week. I thought about what might be on his tombstone. And what a greater testimony. We put all kind of stuff. I walked through a cemetery the other day when I did a graveside, and there were pictures of NASCAR on, cut onto the tombstone and pictures of white-tailed deer on on the tombstone, and there were uh, quotes from country music songs. And what what if this could actually be true, that carved in granite or carved in marble, that it just said your name and it said, love truth, live truth. That's about the greatest testimony that we could ever have. And that's what John had to say about Gaius. And so the first question that I want to ask you today is this and this is our first point what kind of witness and testimony do i have what kind of witness and testimony do i really have for john he tells gaius how incredible it is that the church doesn't have to be embarrassed that he is a member of the church that he is a good example of what a christian ought to be And he even explains that what made him such a good testimony, that God's truth was being lived out in him, that he knew it and that he lived it, and that his greatest joy was to know that he was living and walking in the truth. We need to sometimes take a real, just a simple step back and ask that question about our life. Is the church I am a member of better because I am a member of it? When people find out that I am a member of First Baptist Summit, are they more apt to want to be a part of that because they know me, or are they less apt to want to be a part of it because they know me? That's a simple way to phrase it. That the way that I live my life, the way that I act at school, the way I act on a ball field, the way I act in my job, the way I act in my hobbies, the way I behave, the way I live, the way I talk, the things that I do, where I'm involved with, the way I handle my business, the way I spend my money, the way I care about people. Do people genuinely look at me and say, man, that is a guy that's obviously living what he says he believes? Isn't that simple? Isn't that simple? Sometimes I think we try to get so theologically deep, we miss the most simple parts of the, of the gospel. And yes, we have to proclaim the gospel. You cannot preach the gospel without preaching the gospel. There seems to be a movement these days that call, they call it lifestyle evangelism. Well, I really don't ever have to tell anybody the gospel. I can just live the gospel. You have to tell the gospel. Romans 10, how can they know if they have not heard? How can they hear if no one preaches to them? You have to verbally speak the gospel. That being said, don't verbally speak the gospel. In fact, don't preach at all if you live in a way that is so opposite of what the gospel calls us to do that if you were to open your mouth about the gospel, that people would say, I don't want anything to do with that. So it's not an either-or. It's not, well, should I live by lifestyle evangelism or should I preach the gospel? You should live by lifestyle evangelism and preach the gospel. Amen? That's what Gaius was doing. It was real simple. But number two, what kind of testimony do I have? And number two, look at verses 5 through 8. How am I involved in ministry? Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. They've told the church about your love, and you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. How am I involved in ministry? Now remember... That we juxtapose 2 John with 3 John. And 2 John, they were writing to the church there because they were putting up people that were false teachers. They were giving the pulpit to people that were antithetical to the gospel, people that were even arguing that Jesus was never incarnate or was never in the flesh. And so the first letter that we studied was about being sure that you are very careful about who you allow into your homes, into your church, and into your heart. What this letter is talking about is what it looks like to show hospitality, to love and to support and to be faithful to those who are not only in the ministry, but those who are in the church and the way that we treat each other so that the way that that love is seen, not only in the church, but outside of the church may be a place that may be contagious. And he's saying, Gaius, you are doing a fantastic job. Your te- the word of your testimony has gotten all the way to me. Remember we said there were really no hotels in the area. There weren't VRBOs. There weren't bed and breakfasts. You couldn't stay at the Holiday Inn Express. If you were coming in and staying in an area, you had to stay in somebody's house. So, because you had to stay in somebody's house, it was imperative, especially if a faithful gospel teacher and preacher was going to be able to stay and teach in a church, then somebody had to care enough to open up their home. And he says, Gay, as you're that kind of guy, it's obvious what it is that you're doing. We have no indication in Scripture that Gaius was a preacher, a teacher, but he opened his heart to those who were. He was an encouragement to church members and strangers. I want to say a word about encouragers. We hear a lot about Barnabas in the New Testament, don't we, about how would it look like for Barnabas because he had the gift of encouragement. We need more people that want to be encouragers. It is... People say, you know, well, I'm a grown man. I don't need anybody to give me a pat on the back. Yes, you do. And yes, I do. And yes, we do. And I want to ask you genuinely, if your name was on a piece of paper and somebody read down through it, would the word encourager come up when they saw your name? Man, that guy is so encouraging. I could name specific people in this church that I'm not only, I'm positive that they have the gift of encouragement but they also carry it out in a way that you can't wait to talk to them because they exude it, not just when they're complimenting you, but the way they look at life is encouraging. The way they look at ministry is encouraging. It's not always Debbie down and Right? Not walking around with Eeyore all the time. Nancy negative, just strolling through the halls. How about somebody say, you know what? I, I don't and I've heard people say, well, I don't think I have the gift of encouragement. Work on it. Work on it. Maybe you're never going to be as gifted at it as some people, but that doesn't give you the excuse to be a jerk. Right? Part of Christian ministry is that we would be not only kind, but we would be encouraging to people, that people would say, man, that guy breathes life into me. That guy is somebody that encourages people. So maybe today you're going to shut down. You say it's the end of spring break. It's freezing outside. If you're just going to do one practical thing from this, take a note. Think about some people in your life that you can encourage, that you can compliment, that you can thank, that you can go to and say, Good job. You say, Well, do you think it'll make a difference? No, I don't think it will. I'm positive it will. I'm positive it will. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a teacher, maybe it's somebody you know, maybe it's somebody you don't even know that well. But you want to be a part of the solution instead of being part of the problem. Be like Gaius and learn to encourage somebody. What a great gift that is in ministry. So he does that. He was an encourager. He opened his home. He opened his heart. Love and action. Thought about this week. We don't talk about it enough, but in Hebrews 13 too, we are told that we may be entertaining angels without even knowing it. Did you know that Jesus said in Matthew 10, and again in Matthew 25, that we are to treat people as if we are receiving the Lord himself. This is the type of person that is discovered that whenever we become the source of blessing for others, we are blessed. How many of you have noticed that before? That you can't pour out enough into people that you don't get more out of it. You know, one of the reasons that I, I, there's a hundred, you don't have enough time. But one of the reasons I love to preach is that I get way more out of this than you do. I'm positive. I get way more out of it. Because I have the privilege of getting to study this week to week and be in God's Word and prepare for it, and I'm convicted by it, and I learn, and I love that. And what I'm learning is, is that not only in preaching, but in, in personal contacts, and when you're with people, and when you're encouraging people, and when you're praying with people, and when you're crying with people, and when you're loving on people, when you go the extra mile, you end up walking away from that. And I know very few people that will walk away from, saying, from that saying, well, you know, that was a real waste of time. I sure could have used that, done something a lot better than that. Nope. Nope. You walk away, and there's something inside you that feels good, and hopefully it's not pride. Hopefully it's because you're doing exactly what you were supposed to be doing, and there's fulfillment and there's satisfaction in that. And he goes on to say that the reason that he's so proud of him for the support is that these people were doing what? They were doing everything they were doing, verse 7, for the sake of the name. You may notice that name there is capitalized, because what name is that? That is the name that is above every name because there's only one name that a true minister can do it on behalf of. There aren't multiple names. There's only one name, and it is the name of Jesus. High and lifted up. That name, Jesus, is the, what, the name that they were working on behalf of. And so he's saying that you have not only been an encouragement to them, but obviously you have supported them. You've supported them in multiple ways. And one of the ways that you have supported them is financially. I love what is said here. I, I think this, this really needs to be paid attention to. It's unfortunate this is an ignored little Bible verse because it says they received no help from the pagans. Can I talk to you real practically about what the church needs to understand? The church supports the church. The church supports missionaries. The church supports missions. The church supports those things. And when we as the church— Don't understand that it's the church's job to support the church, not government, not political movements, then all of a sudden we begin to realize it's on us. It is on us, and what we give towards ministry and what we give towards missions—that is absolutely crucial for the sake of the gospel. And so we come together, and the reason that we join hands, and the reason that we give, and the reason that it shouldn't be begrudgingly, but we ought to give with joy—is because what else are you putting your money into that's doing better than what what's happening because of the work of the gospel when you give to the Lord. You say, well, well, I've got a Roth IRA. Well, I've got a 401k. Well, I'm making land investments. I'm not telling you not to make personal investments. What I'm telling you this is what you, what you invest in the kingdom is the only thing that's going to be left when you're dead. And so it's important to think about what he's telling Gaius about how proud he is of what he has done. Missions is not just the job of the missionary. Missions is the job of the church as a whole. Maybe you can never leave Pike or Lincoln or Amitt County. Maybe it is that you'll never leave Walthall County. Maybe you're right here. Well, praise God, number one, you ought to be a missionary right here, but number two, whether or not you ever step foot outside of a county or not, you are part of a missions enterprise that is even bigger than yourself when you pray for missions and you give towards missions. It is a duty, but it should also be a delight. Some of you may have heard the name before, but I want to share this with you. I get moved every time I hear the testimony and the witness of this man. An American missionary, his name is Adoniram Judson. If you don't know Adniram Judson's story, he arrived in Burma, Myanmar, in 1812. And he died there 38 years later in 1850. During that time, he suffered much for the cause of the gospel. He was imprisoned, tortured, kept in shackles. After the death of his first wife, Anne, to whom he was devoted for several months, he was so depressed that he sat beside her tomb daily. Three years later he wrote, God is to me the great unknown. I believe in him, but I cannot find him. But Adoniram's faith sustained him and he threw himself in the task which he believed God had called him to, and he worked feverishly on a translation of the Bible. The New Testament had now been printed, and he finished the Old Testament in early 1834. Statistics are unclear, but there were only somewhere between 12 and 20 professing Christians in the country when he died, and there was not a church to speak of. Many people, and if you stop the story there, would look at Judson's life and say, What a waste! What a waste! All that pain, all that torture, losing your wife giving your life overseas, and you never saw any success. Sometimes we need to hear the rest of the story, don't we? At the 150th anniversary of the translation of the Bible into the Burmese language, Paul Borthwick was addressing a group that was celebrating Judson's work. And just before he got up to speak, he noticed in small print on the first page these words, translated by Reverend A. Judson, So Borthwick turned to his interpreter, a Burmese man, and asked him, Matthew, what do you know of this man? And he said that Matthew began to weep and he said, We know him. We know how he loved the Burmese people and how he suffered for the gospel because of us. And out of love for us, he died a pauper, but he left us a Bible. When he died, there were few believers, but today there are over 600,000 of us, and every single one of us traces our spiritual heritage to one man, the Reverend Adoniram Judson. But Judson never saw it. And friends, I want to tell you that that may be the case for some of us, that we're called to invest our lives in ministry for which we do not see immediate fruit, but we trust that the God of grace who oversees our work will see that the labor is not in vain. Friends, so often in ministry, you may not know the impact that you're making on a teenager or on a child or in a church or in a community or on the mission field. God is not obligated to show you in this life the differences that you make, but it doesn't mean that we don't work to be a testimony and a witness and to be involved in ministry. Whether that is overseas in Burma or whether it is that you're feeding juice and crackers to the nursery, you recognize that I'm doing this as unto the Lord and that. The Lord can take whatever it is that I am doing and He can use it exponentially more than anything that I could even imagine. God can take whatever gift that we offer, whatever widow's mic that we bring, whatever little service that we can offer, and He takes that and He expands it because the power of the Holy Spirit not only infuses our lives but it infuses our ministry and it does what we could never, ever do. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of a witness. That's the power of testimony. That is the The power of being involved in ministry. It's going to take every one of us in the age in which we live. We've got to have more people like Gaius and less people on the sidelines. We've got to have people that are active, that are involved, that are in the fight, that are unwilling to give up and unwilling to quit, unwilling to give in and surrender, but want to engage because this is a spiritual warfare that is taking place. And we can't afford to have soldiers that are sitting back in the barracks. We've got to have people that are called to the front line. And you're one of the ones that's been called if you're one of the ones that I mentioned earlier is truly born again. Years ago, one of the things that shaped my understanding of the the call to ministry was a little story that I heard about the eruption of Mount Vesuvius destroyed the city of Pompeii in AD 79. Not too long ago they were doing excavations of the city of Pompeii and they could see the volcanic ash was everywhere and it happened so rapidly and so quickly that they found people um, had been preserved still trying to run away from the lava. People that were trapped inside their homes by the lava. And so you could almost recreate the terror and the horror that took place in that moment. But one thing they found on an archaeological excavation that has always stuck with me. There was a Roman sentinel that was found at the city gate of Pompeii. Standing at the city gate, and he was standing perfectly at attention, preserved for all the world to see that he never left his post. The captain had assigned him a post, and even when, the volcan- even when the volcano erupted and even as the lava was pouring his way, he never left his post at the city gate but stood at rapt attention because his captain had given him orders. That's the way I want to live out my ministry. Not being covered in lava and ash, obviously. But being given a command by my captain and my commander. And that one day, whenever someone looks back on my ministry, maybe they're not able to say a thousand different things, but maybe they'd be able to say he stood his post. He stood his post. I want to know today, are you standing your post? What kind of witness and what kind of testimony do you have? What kind of church member are you when it comes to thinking about your own life how involved are you in ministry and when we look at the life of gaius and the commendation given by the beloved apostle john maybe it is that by his shining example you would say lord i need your holy spirit's help because that's how i want to live out my life i want it to be able to be set of me even engraved on my tombstone one day that he loved truth And that he lived truth. If that couldn't be said of you right now, then this invitation is a call to repentance. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then this is the part of the sermon that applies to you. You can't have a testimony and a witness if you don't have a Savior. And you can't have a Savior if you don't meet my Jesus. And you can't meet my Jesus until you repent of your sin and come to him and trust his work on Calvary. And surrender your life to Him, letting Him have control so that you can have the greatest testimony and the greatest story that was ever told, that you've been saved by the King of Kings. That can be your testimony today. Thanks for listening to FBC Summit. We are leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. For more information, visit our website, fbcsummit.org.